Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. So we're so glad you're here. My name is Brad, and if you haven't met me, I have the privilege of pastoring the Park Church, and we're just so glad to see you this morning. If you do know me and you're back, it's great to see you. So glad that you came to worship King Jesus along with us today. So if you got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, and then flip over to chapter 37. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week as we began a brand new series together in the life of Joseph. So you're going to see it next to me, but I would also love it if you looked at it with me in your Bible. If you got one, if not, that's fine too. But if you're there in Genesis chapter 37, or you see it next to me here in just a moment, would you say, I'm there, I'm there. Whoa. We were there and you were ready to go. Oh my goodness. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we trust you. We sang about the goodness of our God who is holy, who is completely set apart from sin, set apart from creation, uniquely in himself, All glory and splendor and all of who he is, that's the God that we gather to worship today. And a God who knows us and holds us. What a thought. It's not our grip on you, but your grip on us. And you will never let us go if we know you through Jesus. So God, today we can join in one song and say it is well because we have a God who is in control, sovereign over all things, has sent his son Jesus as our savior, has given us his Holy Spirit as a guide and sealing us until our salvation is fully realized and one day returning King Jesus And we will rule and reign with you and all things will be put right and justice will be brought to earth once and for all. And so we gather in your name today anticipating that day. In the meantime, we worship you and we live for you. God, help us as we look into your word this morning. May your eyes open us to see what we've never seen before. Maybe we've heard it before, but yet we've never seen it. May it be a fresh and a new in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I was traveling when I was a little boy. We did a lot of road trips. Anybody's family take road trips? Yeah, you take road trips. Uh, Half my family lived in Ohio. That's where I was living. The other half lived here in Des Moines. So we would drive across I-80, which is the most boring trip you'll ever take from Ohio to Iowa. It was terrible. And I remember I always try to fall asleep just to pass the time. And as a little boy, I woke up, and we were in the midst of a thunderstorm, and Dad was driving. And we were hearing the rain just pounding on the big conversion van ceiling. You know what that sounds like on that metal roof? And we were driving along, and the rain is just pouring down on the windshield, and the windshield wipers are trying to keep up. And then all of a sudden, my dad says out loud, he goes, one, two, three, stop raining. And for a brief moment, it stopped raining. And I sat up in my seat in the back, and I was like, okay, that was interesting. 
About 30 seconds later, dad snapped his fingers again. He goes, stop raining. And it stopped raining. And I sat up real high and I thought, my dad has control over the weather. This is amazing. And then we finally caught on about every 30 seconds that he would do that. It's when we just happened to be going under an overpass. And dad was having fun with us with kids. But in that moment, even though it was brief, and only for a couple of minutes, I was mesmerized that my dad was in control of the weather. And you know what? It didn't scare me. Because I knew my dad. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he cared for me. And he knew what was best. Now, I tell you what, if there's someone in control of the weather and of the world that you don't trust, that isn't loving and doesn't have your best in mind, then we should be very afraid. Joseph, the story of Joseph, is an invitation for us to have our vision of God expanded. And let me expand your vision this morning with this. God is sovereign over all things. He brings all things to pass according to his will and plan. The ends and the means. Using our good and bad choices to bring about his plan in your life and in the world. Now, how he makes that work and how he brings that all about is a whole nother sermon altogether. And someday we will have one of those type of sermons, but that is not today. Here's what I want you to see in this text. That in the small and mundane details, in your hardest and deepest pain, and when your future is unsure, God is working. And if you question that, if you wonder, is God really working in my life in all the ways that you said, this passage today is going to speak directly to those doubts and give you comfort that there is a God that is just, that is kind, that not just is loving, but is love itself. And so he is in control of all things, and because he is all those things, what he does and what he brings about in your life and in mine and in our world is always for good. And it's for your good. And so we can trust his providence. Let's look in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 12. The story unfolds further, and it says this. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, Your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, Go and see how your brothers and flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. A man found him there and was wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They have moved from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph sent out his brothers and found them at Dothan 
This is the word of the Lord. So the story unfolds in a new day and a new mission for Joseph as he's sent out by his dad. Here's the task that he gave to him. Go visit your brothers who are tending sheep and come back and give me a report. Now that sounds like easy enough plans, doesn't it? And what's Joseph's response? He says, I will go and I'll see you soon, dad. I'll be right back. But here's what Joseph doesn't know and what he doesn't consider is that God has other plans. And this was the last time that Joseph would ever be at his home. He would never return again. In fact, the only thing that would come back to this land that was Joseph's was many years later, his bones were going to come back. And there was going to be no life in them at all. He thought it was a short mission and he'd be back home, but this is the last time he would ever see home. And this is what I want you to see, first of all, from this text, is God is working in the small details. If you notice here, his starting location, it says, was the Hebron Valley. That is 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Ken, raise your hand right there. Okay, so let's imagine that he's Jerusalem. I'm Hebron Valley. All right, it's 20 miles to Jerusalem. That is how far away he is from Jerusalem. But he's headed to Shechem, which is 30 miles north of Jerusalem. So Callie, raise your hand in the back back there. There's Callie. She's Shechem, all right? So he is making this 50-mile trek from his home, which is going to be about a five-day's journey for him. And now he thinks that Shechem is his final destination, but really Shechem is just a detour for where God wants Jacob or Joseph to actually end up. Now, it's kind of interesting that as you read this text, Moses, you think, would be a better editor. He gives us a bunch of details that seem kind of like accidents that maybe he didn't need to include in this story. But Moses includes these details in this story because he wants to see what seem like accidents in this text are God working tremendously. God working in the small details. As Joseph is wandering along, he comes into a man who is wandering in the fields. He just happens to be bumping into a guy. He finds that he gets to Shechem, and his brothers aren't there. And he runs into this guy just by accident, and the guy tells him, Oh, I heard your brothers saying that they are moving on to Dothan. So Joseph then takes another 14 miles north from Shechem up to Dothan. Now he is now 64 miles from home at where his final destination for the time being is going to be. So what's the point? Why does Moses, the writer of Genesis, include all these different details? Listen, he wants to show us that God is always working. He has different purposes in mind. God knows that a famine is coming, and he is going to preserve his people, this family of Jacob and Joseph, and this small detour is a huge part of God's plan in getting Joseph to Egypt, where he needs to be to rescue his family. Because if God doesn't get Joseph to Egypt, his family dies. They starve to death. 
So God is working behind the scenes, and this detour in his life, in this destination, is actually getting to exactly where God wants him to be. And I want you to know this morning that detours in your life, even disappointments, may be God's divine appointment to get you exactly where he wants you to be. As you think about your life, some of the things that you had a plan, but God took it an opposite and completely different direction. Do you have one of those in mind? Maybe your dream home that you always wanted and you thought you were going to get falls through. God knew that was going to happen. And maybe he has you right where you are now because he wants you to minister to the neighbors that he's put you next to. Maybe your relationship didn't work out. Maybe it's just like you're wondering, do I even continue to just remind my kids about who God is? Is it even worth it anymore? Maybe you're driving down the road and there's an actual road that is closed and God is helping you miss something. Keeping you from tragedy or getting you exactly where he wants you to be at the right time to talk to the person that he wants you to talk to. God is always working in the smallest of details in your life to accomplish his purposes for your good. Nothing is ever on accident. God is always working even when it doesn't feel like it. Let's look on in verse 18. It says, Then he saw them, then they saw him in the distance before him, before he reached them. You can't miss that technicolor dream coat when it's coming, all right? They saw this coming from a mile away, and they said to one another, Oh, look, here comes the dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of the pits. We could say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of one of, of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save, save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben said also to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him. Continue to rescue him from the return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and without water. They sat down to eat a meal. And we'll stop right there. They see, this, they see their brother Joseph coming, who they hate. And they begin to scheme. Let's kill this guy. Let's get rid of him once and for all. But Reuben, the oldest brother, steps in and says, guys, 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 guys. let's not kill him. Now, if you remember from last week, Reuben has made a mistake. He has lost his right to the inheritance as the firstborn son. And he's thinking now in this moment, if I can return Joseph back to daddy, then maybe I'll be restored to my father. So he says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. And later on, Reuben was going to come back and he was going to free his brother that had been thrown into this terrible Pit. Now, I want you to notice here that God is working in your deepest pain. God is working in your deepest pain. Now, for many of you, this story is very familiar. And I don't want you to lose sight of how awful this actually is right here because you're familiar with this story. 
So no matter how many times you've heard it before, don't miss the brutality of this moment and what has happened. As R. Kent Hughes points out, this is a brutal assault delivered on Joseph by his brothers. If you can imagine, Joseph shows up and all 11, all 10 of them, grab him. They strip him naked. That's what that strip there in Hebrew actually means to forcibly strip someone naked. Can you imagine this as they pile on their brother? And it says they then threw him into the pit. That word threw means to dispose of a dead body. They did not lower him into this empty well. They dumped him there to die. And then the text says they sat down together to eat a meal. Most likely the meal that Joseph had brought to them. Now the text here doesn't tell us what Joseph was doing in this moment. But as the story goes on, the brothers recount what Joseph was doing while he was in the pit and it haunted them later. This is what it says, the brothers, as they recount this, this story in their minds. In verse Genesis 42, then they said to each other, Obviously, we are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come upon us. Do you see what's happening here? 17-year-old Joseph is naked, bloody. He's bruised in a pit pleading for his brothers. He's saying, why are you guys doing this? Why is this happening? He's calling them out by name. Simeon, Judah, what are you doing? Come and get me out of here. And as he's pleading and crying out, they're eating. And they don't stop eating as he continues to plead. Listen, God is working in your deepest pain. I don't know your hurts. I know many of them. I do, actually. Some of you are going through some deep pain right now in your life. Some of you, it's a, it's a past hurt. It's a past pain that continues to come up and you don't know why it happened. God has not revealed that to you and maybe he won't. But I want you to know this morning that God sees you in your pain. He's with you in your pain. When it seems like you're crying out and everyone just keeps eating, God is working. And I'm sure Joseph was asking, and you're asking, where is God when I'm in the pit? He's with you. Where is God in my deepest pain? He's with you. He's accomplishing something that you can't see. Because when Joseph was in that pit, he was bringing about salvation for you and me. Did you know that? Joseph, God put him in that pit by extension for you and I. Because if he doesn't get exactly where he's supposed to be, there would be no salvation because Christ was going to come from this family. But why not save him there in that moment? You know, Dothan, where he is currently, is actually mentioned later on in Scripture. 
Elisha is actually in Dothan. This is what is said in 2 Kings 6, 13 through 17. Elisha is there, and it says, So the king said, Go and see where he is, so I can send men to capture him. When he was told, Elisha is in, where is he at? Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a massive army there. They were there by night and surrounded the city. When the servants of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he said to Elisha, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, Please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he saw the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Very same spot, Dothan. Joseph in the pit. He can't see the chariots of fire that are all around him. He has no idea what God is doing. Elisha, many years later, in that very same spot, everyone else is freaking out. What's going on? What's going to happen? And Elisha says, God's got this. And they opened their eyes to see what's all around them, that God was surrounding them, and there was so much more of them than those that they could just see right in front of them, the physical. Listen, sometimes you can't see the salvation in the moment. Most of the time, we're not shown the vision that Elisha was shown. Most of the time it's bleak, it's quiet, and you wonder why, but it doesn't mean that salvation is not present. It does not mean that God is not working or that he has forgotten about you. Because sometimes God keeps us in the pit for a greater purpose. Have you thought about that? The situation that you're in right now, the heaviness that's in your heart, maybe even when you came to church this morning. When I woke up this morning, there was a heaviness in my heart. It's a real reality. Let's not pretend like everything in the world is just fine. It's, it's everything's good. A lot of times it is, but most of the time it's not. The joy and the pain go hand in hand. But your pain, your struggle, is for your good. And God is doing something in that pain, even though you might not see what it is. But remember, the point of this story is not to just see Joseph, but to turn our eyes, because Joseph is a type of Christ, which means there's a better Joseph. A Joseph that would also be stripped naked, would be humiliated, who was abandoned to die alone, and he cried out to God to say, to say why have you, where are you, he said. And there was no answer from God. In fact, he was jeered and made fun of in his deepest moment of pain. But this better Joseph, Jesus, did it voluntarily. Because he knew that in the sovereignty of God, it was the Father's will to crush his son. In God's sovereignty, before it ever happened, God the Father willed that his son, Jesus, would be crushed. 
Oh, his suffering was for a much greater purpose, to be the sacrifice for sin. Jesus, the greater Joseph, was stripped naked so that you could be clothed and robed in his righteousness. So that you could be given his cloak simply through faith alone. So this can be said of you. What Isaiah looked forward to is true of you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. If you know Jesus, he has exchanged your sin and given his righteousness to you he suffered and died for a greater purpose so that when you suffer you don't have to do it alone but you can be known by God and loved by him now I want to say too that maybe you like the brothers here are haunted by your past but something that you've done to someone else and it creeps up on you all the time I want you to know that even in that, God is working and he's bringing about his plan for good. So even in your deepest pain, you might not see it, but God is working. Let's look on together in this story in verse 25. They sat down to eat a meal, and when they looked up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromic gum, balsam, and reason going down to where? Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he's our brother. He's our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's what you would pay for a disabled uh, slave to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that his brother was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in its blood. Then they sent the robe of many colors to the father and said, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It's my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. And his father wept for him. While all this is taking place, jo uh, Jacob thinks his son is dead, but Joseph is still very much alive. And God is moving him exactly where he wants him to be so that he can save his father and his brothers. Lastly, I want you to see this. God is working when your future seems uncertain. God is working when your future seems uncertain. Think about the change in just a matter of moments in Joseph's life. He leaves home, a prince of the family, just a few days earlier, and now he's a chained slave. He has no idea what his future is going to hold. 
But listen, the one who holds his future is going to bring him exactly where he wants to be. And you'll see as this story goes on that Joseph doesn't play the victim. He instead trusts the sovereignty of God who was with him all along. I want to share this quote from you with Charles Spurgeon, which I think will be a comfort to all of us. Listen to this. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving him or her perfect peace. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Knowing that God is in control in your life allows us to actually sleep at night. Knowing that instead of staying up all night and worrying, he gives us a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't always come right away, and it's a struggle at times. But knowing that God is in control, that's where we rest. That's where we put our heads. And Joseph didn't know what his future hold. He didn't know that it was going to get actually a lot worse before it ever got better. And maybe you're wondering, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know if that child is ever going to come back to the Lord. I don't know what job I'm going to get. Or if I'll ever find or have that relationship that I'm longing for. I don't know if I'm ever just going to have the contentment that I'm looking for. Or you fill in the blank, whatever it is, what college I'm going to go to. I have no idea what my future holds. But God does. When things are uncertain, God is always working. He's working in the small details of your life. Nothing's on accident. He's working in your deepest pain. And he's working when your future is uncertain. So maybe this morning, believer, maybe for you, this is just an opportunity to re-up your faith that God is in control. Saying, I'm not going to freak out and wonder about what's going on, but instead I'm going to rest my head on the pillow of God's sovereignty. With whatever circumstances go on in your life, you're saying, that's where I'm going to rest. Because if I try to figure everything out, there's no rest in that. But instead, I'm going to say that God is working, and I'm going to trust him with my life and the lives of others that I know that I'm so concerned about. Would you do that, believer, that is all torn up in knots right now? Would you rest your head on the pillow of God's sovereignty, that he is in control, and that he is working? I didn't freak out when my dad was making it stop, stop the rain, right? It was mysterious to me. I couldn't figure out how he was doing it, but I didn't freak out because I knew dad cared for me, and he knew what was best for me. We have a God, a heavenly father. And maybe you can't relate to that story because when you think about your dad, it's nothing but fear. And it's anxiety that comes as a result because he was not a good father. Maybe he was absent at all and like that doesn't connect with me at all. But there is a heavenly father that cares for you so greatly. And he's in control of all things and in your life. And he sent his, his son Jesus and his divine plan so that you could have a relationship with God 
have your sins forgiven through faith alone, through grace alone. We don't meet him halfway. We don't do some good, and then God does the rest. He does everything, and we simply trust him. Let's pray. God, I don't know what you did to get people here today. Whether people were thinking about maybe I should just stay in bed. Maybe we'll just take a a family day. Maybe I got a lot going on and I just need to take a day to rest and to plan. But yet the people that are here, you brought here for a purpose. And God, it was not on accident. I pray, God, that we would trust that you're in control. With the small and the mundane, and that would drive us to keep going because nothing is without your good. Nothing passes, doesn't pass through your hands. You're always sovereign. You're always in charge. So God, I pray for the one today that just needs to re-up their faith in you, that you're in control, that they would do that today, that they would give their lives again to you and say that I believe what you're doing, and it is well with my soul because you are in control. God, I pray for the one here today that doesn't know you, that is wondering, how do I have a relationship with God? How do I have this sin problem taken care of? I've hurt so many people. I've been hurt so many times. God, I pray that they would turn to you, Jesus, and give you their life. Lay down their good doing and say, I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.